just going to start, and it flows really well from what Dave was saying, how I have been really enjoying this series. I think what I've been really enjoying is we didn't stop last week. I think it's really easy to have stopped at Easter. And I love in this series that it continues on, uh, the resurrection series. And the, the title I've been given today, um, Resurrected the Church. And I guess the question that I want to pose uh, this afternoon is, what is your... How are you living the overflow of Easter? How are you living the overflow of Easter? And because we don't do this in splendid isolation, how are we, the church, living this overflow of Easter? Uh, what's, what's your overflow been like this last week, even? I have had a glorious week. Uh, since I was here last Sunday, I spent a couple of glorious sun-filled days up the north coast uh, with friends. It was lovely, taking walks, eating ice cream. My friends were laughing at me because I eat ice cream like this. Because when you have long hair, if any of you have long hair, the wind, so they're all like, well, why are you eating your ice cream like this? It was a ridiculously sunny day on Monday, and the ice cream, I think, was more down my arm than anywhere else. I had a lovely overnight with a good friend in a swanky hotel, 24 hours of chat and food. It was glorious. And then my mum and dad came up and we attacked my garden because that's what you do at Easter, isn't it? Attack those bushes and shrubs and uh, it was brilliant. Yesterday, maybe not such a good gardening day, but we still got through loads. I have had a glorious week, but I haven't been able to let down some of the things that Dave spoke about last Sunday. And so more than enjoying my week, more than enjoying a slow week, not a typical week, um, more than all the chat and the crack that I have had, more than the time with friends and family, I've been carrying the words that Dave shared last week about a resurrected life. Am I living in the reality of what Jesus has done? Are you living in the reality of what he has given us and done for us? Yeah. I find what Dave shared really impactful and the taking of communion, that reminder that Jesus was inviting us to his table. I find that for me, just personally, I find communion really hit me quite profoundly, a real reminder um, that I am loved and I love him. And so this Sunday, I want to allow the challenge and the encouragement for last week to take root in our lives. I want to build on what Dave has shared. If I want, if you like, to leapfrog off it and challenge myself, challenge us um, to be resurrection people and to live out the call of the church. People living differently in light of Jesus. People living differently in light of his resurrection. Dave reminded us last week, he's, uh, these there. Um, since then you've been raised with Christ. So we're different because of Jesus. So am I? Are you living in light of this? What might this different look like? And so really helpfully, the passage that we've been given to look at today illustrates how the followers of Jesus lived this resurrected life. It's found in Acts 2, a really familiar passage. And yet, as I've been preparing for it, I've been struck again by the impact of these verses. 
A couple of years ago, I got the opportunity to go on holiday to Australia. And if I can do a little tourist plug, if you haven't been to Australia yet, absolutely, I must do. And I'd arrived into Sydney a couple of hours before the rest of the guys who I was travelling with. And so I thought I'll go off for a bit of an explore. Also, as we're putting the itinerary together, I love art galleries. And the guys I was travelling with do not. So I was tasked to do the art gallery in the afternoon before they arrived. So I'm off exploring Sydney, heading down to the art gallery. And something caught my eye. I had seen it in this building in photographs, magazine articles. I'd seen it in TVs and movies. I knew its iconic shape. I guess we all do. But nothing had prepared me for the reaction as I walked around the corner and caught in my eyeline, my eyeline, not on the printed page, not on the screen, but with my eyes, Sydney Opera House. I, I don't know if you've been to Sydney and seen it. But there's something about seeing something for yourself that is different than seeing it on the screen or in print. And it took my breath away. I knew this building really well. I wasn't expecting that reaction. Um, but I guess I was getting to see it with my own eyes. And the passage that we have before us this morning or this afternoon in Acts 2, this passage is somewhat iconic. It's not just familiar, but it's heralded as the epitome of church life, what the family of Christ is meant to, be, to look like. We look back at this passage as an example of the family of God was like in the aftermath of Jesus. We bemoan how much we have fallen short. We strategize as to what we could do to return to those days. This iconic passage is almost like the stories that our grandparents tell about not locking their front doors. Or the days when you could leave a child outside a shop and run in and get a few groceries. But we don't do that now. We're full of cynicism today, disbelief. And so we only see this passage on a page. We need to see it for ourselves. We need to turn that corner and see this passage with our eyes. Let it catch our breath. And so we'd like to suggest this morning that you don't look fondly at this passage with nostalgia. Um, but you rather live it as a life that's calling to you. The events of Easter are just behind us. And the call of Easter, the resurrected people ahead of us, this passage calls us on. And so I'd like to ask you to listen to these verses, not as an example of something that happened in the past, not as an example to copy, but rather listen to them as a call to do something in the future, a call to, a call to live out this Easter living, calling us in ways that we can ground the change of Jesus in our lives. So I want to invite you to listen afresh, afresh in light of the events of Easter just behind us, and the call of Easter, the resurrected people ahead of us. So I'm going to read this passage several times. I've picked three different translations just so that it stays fresh. I'll read it slowly and deliberately. And I just ask you, what do you notice? Is there a word that jumps out? Is there a phrase that you notice? What do you notice as I read this? Before I do, let me just pause and let me just pray. God, just simply, um, what do you want to underline? I know I have words prepared to share, but even as we read through this passage now, what do you want to underline? 
What of you do you want us to notice? What of the life that you're calling us to do you want us to take notice of? Let me read to you Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together, had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home. They ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let me read it again from the message. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles And all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned, pulled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed the daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were saved. And one last time, in the version that might be the most familiar to you. What do you notice? What do you feel God's underlining? Fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily who were being saved. What did you notice? What stood out? Take a few moments, just a minute or two, and turn to the person beside you and gently share. Is there a word or a phrase? I am not going to ask any of you to share it, by the way. Um, Just take a moment. Was there a word or a phrase that you noticed as I read it? Or if you're sitting on your own or you feel like, I just like to have some time on my own, then just want you to think. Is there a word or phrase that you notice? Take a moment. Think, talk, share.
There are three words that I just couldn't shake as I was reading over this in preparation for today. And three words I'd like to draw your attention to. They might, be, they might connect with something that you notice. They might be completely different. But I love that. I love the generosity of Scripture. When you stop to read it, um, God will point out things, underline things. Um, and so maybe come and chat to me at the end if you'd something that struck or keep chatting about this or when you go home maybe go back to this passage and go back to that thing that you noticed that was important to you what has God got to say to you but the three words that I want to draw your attention to this morning are devotion together and fellowship let's look at each of them and um, the first one devotion Can you flick it on for me? Um, when you hear the word devotion, what comes to mind? What are you devoted to? And how does this outlook work in your life? Maybe you think of your family, your children, your friends. Maybe you think of sport. I'll not mention any teams in particular or music. Or maybe there's something that's precious to you like truth or justice. But whatever you are devoted to, it changes how you walk. It changes how you live. It impacts your life. For the last seven years, I have been studying alongside work. I've been researching youth ministry in Northern Ireland. And it's been a tough journey, but it's been absolutely amazing. I have learned so much. I have gained so much. But the last year has been pretty full on and intense. And as I've been writing and uh, up my research, I guess I've had to make some sacrifices over the last year, especially regarding holidays. And I've just had to spend evenings and weekends writing and typing and editing and reading. And I guess my social life has had to kind of be on hold a little bit. But to be honest, it hasn't felt like a sacrifice. And I don't mean that it's been easy. It hasn't at all. But I wanted to do this. No one asked me to do this. This was my call. And secondly, I really wanted to do justice to what those youth ministry practitioners, the ones I'd interviewed, I wanted to do justice to their words, to their thoughts, to their practice. I wanted to make sure that my thesis was honouring them. I made calls that enabled me to study. I made calls that enabled on my time to enable me to finish. But as I was thinking about that, it was just one project. One time-limited project. What about this life-invading, life-transforming relationship with God? What does my devotion to Jesus look like? What calls on my time is that making? What calls on my resource is that making? What is the impact of my devotion? How might you answer that question for you? And I think it might start with the acknowledgement that following Jesus is simply that devotion. It is the overflow of love that clothes itself in commitment. Devotion is the overflow of love that clothes itself in commitment. So how might you walk out your devotion to Jesus this week, this month, this year? How can you live that devotion? And I think there's danger when I ask questions like that, that you react with examples in your head of when you will fall short or how you will mess up or how you can't or don't or want and so can I go back to my ask at the start to allow this passage to call us forward rather than some guilty nostalgia? 
how might devotion look like in your life, in our lives? What does this passage call us to? Let me ask, will you commit your lives to Jesus every week, to his teaching, to his fellowship, to spiritual practices that allow you to connect with God and others every week? Because the habits we live regularly are the habits that become part of us. Will you allow Easter, this Easter, to be a time of fresh starts, to signal an opportunity in your life to be devoted to Jesus, committed to him and his ways? The passage says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Are you filled with awe and wonder at the signs and wonders of Easter? Of what we have just remembered last week? Are you, filled, are you devoted to Jesus' teaching? To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer? Are you filled at awe and wonder at who Jesus is? Are you, am I deeply impacted by the work of Jesus? Is this leading to devotion? Will you commit your lives to Jesus in the days and the weeks and the months ahead? Will your overflow of Easter 2019, will your overflow of Easter be devotion? The next word is together. All the believers flick on to the passage. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and professions to give everyone anything who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. They shared. They looked out for each other's needs. They met together in the temples and in their homes and they praised together. How might we live this out as resurrected people? How might we live this out post-Easter? How can these verses call us on? Remember, not nostalgia, but calling us forward. But also, if I might say, I think the values of these verses will resonate with us because we, there are values that we have found to be life-giving here at Central. Values of welcome, of hospitality, of sharing, of generosity. This is part of how we operated at the Mac, at Spires, and now in this new home. And so I think, can I just say, can we keep doing what we do? Let's not reinvent the wheel here. Can we keep being about welcome, about shared lives, about meals, about communities, about serving on Sunday, about compassion, Will you grab a coffee on a Sunday and look around and go and say hello to anyone? Not just that familiar face, but the new faces too. Will you arrange a coffee, a catch-up with someone during the week? Will you send that just that we check-in text? Will each and every one of you be part of creating this together culture here at Central? My fear, my fear in this place is that we move to consumers. And so this together, 
This together part is our radical stand against consumerism. But that will only happen if we intentionally serve one another. If each of us live this together. Will you do whatever it takes to not slide into consumerism here at Central? If you've been here for several weeks, then pitch in. If you're not sure how to serve, then just lift off coffee cups or go and chat to somebody. Be part of setting the culture. If you've been here for a while, will you just roll your sleeves up and say, okay, where can I serve? And yet in saying that, can I also acknowledge that if you hit a season or a time in your life where you just need to rest, come and rest. I have really appreciated that um, in the last few months when I was writing up my thesis, Dave has been really gracious and given me a bit of a Bible and I haven't been involved so much up front or in teaching. But it was so lovely to turn to Dave the other couple of weeks ago and go, right, I'm back. How can I help? We'll all hit seasons where we need to say, can I down tills for a bit? But then make sure you come back and go, okay, how can I pitch in? How can you help? This together, the together will be vital to our authenticity as Easter people. Let's allow this together to call us forward. And then the third word is fellowship. I I was struck when reading this, and I'll show you in the passage... um, Caleb, if you just move it on to the next slide for me. I was struck in the passage. Oh, maybe the next one? No, maybe not. Um, just go back to the fellowship one, sorry. Um, I was struck in the fellowship passage that it start, in the NIV, it starts with the tagline, the fellowship of the believers. And yet I was struck through all of that passage, this fellowship is underlined again and again and again. And it got me curious, what does this phrase fellowship mean? What, what does it represent? And I have to say, I think of it as a bit of a dated word, um, one that maybe doesn't get used as much today, one that can be a little bit of Christian ease, uh, language that doesn't make sense outside of the church. I, I grew up when we talked about youth fellowship rather than youth group, or whenever the Wednesday nights was referred to as the fellowship time, or if church had a get-together and it went really well, people would say, great fellowship. But it's not a phrase that's used so much And so it got me curious, what does it mean? What does it represent? And I guess as I was reading around it in preparation for today and thinking about it, it's easy to think of fellowship as the us bit and lose sight of it's the us with God bit. Fellowship isn't limited to our together, but rather it's the with God, us with God. Can you stop a moment and take that in? with God. I mean, that changes everything, doesn't it? You're not on your own. We are not on our own. We have God with us. We're doing this life, this church, with him. It's his presence, his power that will make the difference. Fellowship is not some cozy round the fire feeling. Fellowship refers to joining with God. Do we know what we have through Christ? Caleb, throw up the image of central. um, I think it would be really easy to get distracted by this place. Distracted by the resource that we have here, the space, the amazing sound and PA, the great coffee. 
Well, actually, the only resource that we need is God himself, presenting to us in the life of the Son and the power of the Spirit. When we had our official opening, uh, John shared several things, but this one really struck with me. He said, don't treat his favor as the fulfillment of his purposes. His favor has got us here, but that is not it. God has more for us in this place. So let us allow Jesus to be the one that we remain devoted to. As we share and care, let's invite others in. Let's be people of the welcome. I think there'll be many new faces in the weeks and months ahead. Some may come once, some may come back. But let's each of us roll up our sleeves. Let's do all we can to push against consumerism entering our culture. We gather on a Sunday, but what we do on the other six days marks us out as resurrection people. I firmly believe I hold to the importance of the Sunday gather, but it needs to be evident and linked into our life during the week. And we can't do that alone, and we aren't meant to. Do we know what we have now through Christ? We have fellowship with God, up, close, and personal. We have fellowship with God that is transformative. And so it seems that we have gone full circle today. We began this service with the reminder that we are central. Every time whoever's hosting always stands up and gives the tagline of central. Central, joining with God and others in the transformation of the city as disciples who make disciples. It strikes me that fellowship is in our motto and purpose. It strikes me that devotion, this very commitment to God, is in our motto and purpose. It strikes me that together is in our motto and purpose. Fellowship, devotion, together. We have been trying to walk out these words already. Now, let's, with the reminder as Easter people, let's remember that we are called to live differently. Let's allow this passage in Acts to call us to the resurrected living. But let's do this. Let's be devoted. Let's care and share and do life together. Let's always have our door open, ready to welcome that these verses show the impact of Christ in the lives of his people. What impact might, the, what might be the impact of Christ in your life? Let our lives be the overflow of Easter. Our lives together be the overflow of Easter. My mom and dad were up with me this week, and one evening my dad was watching a program I'd never seen before called Salvage Hunters, The Restorers. It's on Quest Channel, if any of you want to check it out. Anyway, I got totally sucked in. After 10 minutes, I am glued to this program. Um, This guy had found an old Saxon table found in one of the royal residences, and he brought it to an amazing craftsman to see if he could restore this table. And we watched this guy as he crafted legs, as he looked, I mean, the table had been built incredibly well, so it lasted. But he looked at the bits and, how can I fix it? Where do I add wood that's going to complement it? How do I look at, how do I, might I um, polish it up and wax it so that you don't notice the bits that I have changed or added? The end result was amazing. What a craftsman. What a table. That's what Christ does with us. He restores us. 
He transforms us. His hands are safe. This devotion, this together, this fellowship is part of our restoration. We are Easter people. And so as I finish, and I simply recognize that these verses and acts may underline the corporate actions of the church, but I want to acknowledge the actions that you participate in during the week. Your role as a husband or wife, as a mother, father, sister, brother, the job that you carry, the study, your home, your community. We offer all of this in devotion. We allow all of this to be part of our together. We, um, all of this flows from our fellowship. We want the resurrected life to infiltrate all of who we are and this city in which we inhabit. And so I'd like to just finish by praying for us, praying for our devotion, praying for our together, praying for our fellowship. And that cracker line at the end of that passage, which I'm sure you noticed, that the Lord would add to our number. So can I ask you to stand with me as I close? Um, I want to invite Jesus to come and keep coming, to let us know more of him, to know more of his resurrected power, to know more of what it means in his church and his family. And may that last line of this passage be true for our city and our church. The Lord added to his number daily. Let me pray. God, help us walk out this devotion post-Easter 2019. Help us keep our eyes on you, captivated by you. May the words of this passage call us to the life. Help us to be devoted to you. God, help us to live this together. To look out for, to share, to care, to welcome. For those who come and stay, for those who come and visit. For those who pop in, may all of us be part of creating a culture of together. But God, the fellowship, may you knit us together, your church, your family. This is not just about a social club, but God, this is with you. May you knit this fellowship in us and through us strongly. And God, may you use us to add to your number as we live authentic lives, resurrected Easter people, as we live this out here as central, as we live this out in our workplaces, our places of study, our homes and our communities. Underline our devotion. Give us opportunities to outlive our together and help us remember what fellowship is really about. Amen.